Well, there we go. There we go. We got some people excited and fired up to be in church today. Hope you guys are doing well. For those of you that are new with us, whether you are in the room or you're tuning in on the other side of a TV screen, my name is Pete. I have the distinct honor of serving as the lead pastor, and we are genuinely excited to have you with us as we kick off a brand new series today. But before I dive into that, I want to take a moment to just invite those of you who are newer to our church, whether you've been coming for a couple weeks or even a couple months, we've got an event coming up a week from this Tuesday, February 8th at 6.30 p.m. called All Access Meet and Greet. And what All Access Meet and Greet is, it's an opportunity for you to gain all access to all areas of the ministry to meet and greet the staff of the church, our pastors, our ministry leaders, and give you a chance to really begin to explore where you might want to get connected, where you might want to plant your roots and start developing relationships. And so if that sounds like something you'd be interested in, I hope you mark your calendars for next Tuesday, February 8th, 6.30 p.m., all-access meet and greet. It's going to be a great time. We'll have some good hors d'oeuvres and appetizers and uh, just break bread together, get to know each other. Uh, as you heard Rich just mention, we are starting a new series today called It's Complicated, which really, I think, defines a lot of our relationships, doesn't it? Marriage can be extremely complicated. Parenting is certainly complicated. We've got blended families. Friendships can be very complicated. Our relationship with money can be complicated. And so we wanted to kind of tackle some of these different relationships. But, you know, I'm not sure that our relationships need to be as complicated as we make them out to be. Uh, we, you know, God's word has a lot to say about relationships, but either we don't know what God's word says, or we do know, and we just don't listen to what God's word says. And as a result, we experience complications in our relationships. You know, human beings have a tendency to want to try and figure things out on our own and do things our own way, and simultaneously a tendency to just resist God and you know, look to his word for his instructions on how to do relationships. And the Apostle Paul kind of speaks to this in his letter to the Romans. And in Romans chapter 1, verse 21, he says this, they, and he's speaking to a group of people generally, they knew God, not in a saving sense, but in like they knew about God. They knew of the existence of God. And even though they knew about God, they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they begin to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And in verse 25, they traded the truth about God for a lie. The book of Romans is Paul's fullest expression of theology, and he lays the groundwork as the gospel being the revelation of God's righteousness. And he does that by beginning with the unrighteousness of sinful man who knew God, like I said, not in a saving sense, but they knew about God. His evidence is around us in creation. They knew of his attributes, but they wouldn't worship God or ascribe value to God because that's what worship really is. It's not just singing songs in church. Worship is giving value and worth to God as being preeminent above all else. And by refusing to do that, they started coming up with foolish ideas of what God was really like. They basically made up their own gods. And it says that their minds became dark and confused, which makes sense because God is light. And when you remove God, all that's left 
is darkness. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, he said. And not in the sense of being intellectually deficient, but in the sense that it's foolish to reject God. Even the most brilliant minds, if they don't honor God, miss out on the whole purpose of life and thereby become fools. And that's why it's important to be careful who you take relationship advice from, because if this doesn't describe our world today, I don't know what does. There are a lot of brilliant people out there, experts on different topics, you know, including relationships. But if they have not acknowledged the lordship of Christ, any advice that people might give you on relationships is going to be missing the wisdom of the one who created mankind and created relationships. So I'm not saying that there isn't some wisdom to be gleaned from talking to non-Christian counselors if you're having relational you know, trouble, but they shouldn't be the only voices you're listening to. Just be careful on what voices you're letting speak into your life when it comes to the complicated relationship issues that you're having. And it says they traded the truth of God for a lie. So what I want to do throughout this series, and especially in today's foundational message, is expose some of the lies that we have been told and that we have believed when it comes to relationships and give you some, some truth. Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And at the end of the day, it's gonna be up to you to decide what you do with the information I present to you today. As you've heard me say dozens of times, information without application does not and will not lead to transformation. If you don't apply this message to your life, this will just be another message with information that you can leave it or take it. It's up to you. It's up to you to decide how you handle this message. But I hope you'll apply it to your life. As I heard one pastor say, in order for relationships to work, we've got to let the one who designed them define them. God is the creator of all things, including human beings and relationships. And if we want our relationships to work, we've got to let the one who designed us and relationships be the one who defines them. Today, I'm going to cover the very complicated relationships that many of us have with our pasts. And specifically, I'm going to address and talk about some issues pertaining to sex and sexuality, and so things might get a little bit tense up in here today. I know that talking about sexuality in church is an extremely touchy subject, and no doubt it is going to make some of you very uncomfortable, and that is okay. I want to acknowledge right up front that we are a church that has people who attend here every week from different walks of life and from different places in their spiritual journey. We've got some people here who've been following Jesus for the majority of their life, maybe 50, 60 years. We've got some people who've been following Jesus maybe just a couple of weeks. And we've got some people who attend here every week who aren't following Jesus at all, but are curious about faith or, or, or interested in learning more about who Jesus is. We've got people who attend here every week who have very strong opinions and beliefs pertaining to sexuality, gender identity issues, same-sex attraction, LGBTQ community, all walks of life. And so you're gonna hear some things today that you may or may not 
agree with. And if you are in that crowd, let me just say that I'm so glad that you are here today. So glad. We try to be a church where you can belong before you believe. You are welcome to come and explore faith while you wrestle with some very complicated, complex, polarizing issues. My prayer is that you would find us to be a church that welcomes you with open arms and loves you right where you're at. But as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I also feel a divine mandate and a responsibility to preach the word and to give you the truth, the whole truth. And there are things in the word that are extremely difficult to hear sometimes. And that includes even by me. Those of you that are reading through the Bible in a year with us right now are probably reading some things in Exodus saying, I didn't know that was in the Bible. Wait till you get to Leviticus. It gets even more interesting. There are some things in God's word that are extremely difficult to hear and to accept. And there may be some of you here today that won't like or won't agree with some of the things that I say and share. And my hope is that rather than you getting angry and upset and leaving and never coming back is that you'll actually stay to the end and hear my heart because what I want you to hear is how much God loves you, how much I love you, how much we love you. God's got a plan for your life. And I am open to having ongoing conversations with people who disagree with me. I've had conversations with people who are living in alternative lifestyles. I want to learn more. If you want to be heard and and you want to dig a little bit deeper, listen, our door is open. Our door is open. I'm open to having those conversations. Because here's what I know. Culture has not been quiet when it comes to the issues of sex and sexuality. And the church shouldn't be either. I think the church has been quiet on this for way too long. In fact, growing up, the churches I grew up in, like the only thing that they talked about when it came to sex was that it was bad, dirty, and ugly, and you should save it for the one you love. That's a confusing message. Like the only thing that was mentioned was thou shalt not. But when I read the Bible, there's a whole lot in there that says thou shalt, and it's good. Like God created sex. He's a genius. What I want to do as I start out is show you the very first place in Scripture where God had his creation in the perfect relational and sexual environment. And in just the third chapter of the Bible, things get really complicated. If you know the biblical account of creation, God made Adam and Eve and placed them in the Garden of Eden. And if you didn't know, Eden means pleasure and delight. And that's exactly what it was. It was a place of pleasure and delight until the lies of the enemy enter the picture. Genesis chapter three, verse one, I'm gonna show you five lies that the enemy gives. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, here's the first lie, did God really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, well, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. Here's the second lie. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. 
For God knows, third lie, God knows something he doesn't want you to know because he's not for you, he's against you. God knows that when you eat from it, your life will be better. Here's the fourth lie, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good from evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. So they were both willing participants in this. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. Now they had always been naked, but now all of a sudden there was a shame attached to their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves because they wanted to hide. Shame and hiding always go hand in hand. And that's where some of you are at today. Next verse actually says that they hid from God, but what happens immediately after is absolutely beautiful because it says that God went looking for them, calling for them. And here's what's gonna happen today. Some of you in this place are gonna hear things in this message that are gonna make you uncomfortable, feel ashamed, and wanna hide. But what I want you to hear is the voice of God saying, where are you? I'm looking for you. See, he knows everything you've ever done. And just like he pursued Adam and Eve in the garden after they sinned, God is pursuing you in this place. He's not mad at you. He wants relationship with you and he's coming after you. Now, pretty heavy topic today. So I figured I would start, speaking of being, you know, afraid and naked, I wanted to start with a joke that I would tell you. There was once a pastor of a small church who used to visit all of the first-time guests that came to his church by going to the homes of people. And he would knock on the door, and if they didn't answer, he would stick his business card in the door, and on the back of the card was a Bible verse, and it was Revelation 3.20, which says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. He thought that was a cute and funny way of just letting them know that, hey, I just wanted to break some bread with you, get to know you a little bit. Well, later that week, the next Sunday, after the offering plates were passed, one of his business cards was in the offering plate along with everything else, and another Bible verse was written on it. The lady that placed the card in the offering plate wrote Genesis 3.10 on it, which said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Now that we've had a good laugh, let's dive in. Genesis 3, 1 through 7, there are five lies that I want to show you that actually happen in steps. And the first step leads to the second step. They build on one another. Second step leads to the third step, which leads to the fourth step. And ultimately, that leads to the fifth step, which is a very dangerous place to be. And that's where some of you are at. But it's okay if you are, because I'm going to show you the way out today. The first step is that the devil gets us to question God's word. Did God really say? And the lie that we hear is God's word isn't totally true, at least not totally true today. It's not reliable. It's not relevant. It's man's words. It's not God's word. And that's the first bait we take in our struggle with sin and temptation that ultimately leads to shame and hiding, that God's word isn't totally true. And usually we feel this the most when we see or read or hear something in God's word that we either don't like or that we don't agree with. Now, let me be clear. There are things in God's word that make me very uncomfortable. 
God's word confronts me to the core. It challenges me and constantly calls me to a place that I am not. If you never feel uncomfortable when you're reading God's word, then you're not reading it right. It should confront us. There are things that are extremely difficult for me to hear and read in God's word. We're gonna read some of them today. There are gonna be verses in this message that I've never preached on before. And I literally was in tears yesterday finishing up this message, feeling this, this weight of having to communicate God's truth in a way that still lets people know that they are loved. But there's a dilemma when this happens, when we see something that we don't agree with or that we don't like. We have two choices. Either we take God's word, if God's word is here and we're here, and we try to change it to make it fit what we like, what we think, what we feel, or we say, no, I'm gonna change myself and my thinking to conform to what God's word says. That's the choice. And so if you're here today and you're like, yeah, I'm not sure I can get on board with that. I don't know if I like that that's okay. And I actually think it's kind of supposed to be that way. Because in Isaiah chapter 55, God says this, for just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. You guys, that has to be our starting point that the finite mind of man will never be able to fully grasp or comprehend the infinite ways of our God. He is God. His ways are higher than our ways, and we will never fully understand why things are the way they are, why he says certain things, but he is God and his word is true. Let every man be a liar. His ways are higher than our ways, and God's word confronts us. And if we will not buy into the lie that God's word isn't totally true and instead conform ourselves into what his word says, then our relationships will actually begin to work much better. The apostle Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians chapter two, we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. Paul was thanking God because they believed and accepted the words that he had preached to them, not as a human word, but as the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the word of God, which was working in them who believe. And like Paul, as your pastor, I also continually thank God for those of you who not only receive the word, but accept the word, which is working in you. Let me put it this way. God's word works, but only when you receive it and accept it. Timothy Keller says this. If your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. It's true. Second step. The devil minimizes the, the negative consequences of sin. You're not gonna die. You can eat it. The lie that he tells us is that choice won't hurt anything. You can do it. You can have it. And this lie finds its way into so many of our relationships, our marriages, our parenting, our finances, our dating. You don't have to listen to God. No one's gonna know the difference. You're not hurting anyone. Solomon writes about this tendency that we have to ignore God's word 
and go our own way. In Proverbs 14, 12, when he says that there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. And there's a whole lot of thinking out there in our culture today when it comes to our choices and our desires that sound right, that sound reasonable, that sound compelling, but if it contradicts the word of God, it will lead to spiritual death. And honestly, I don't feel a ton of pressure standing up on the stage today to convince you of this for two reasons. Number one, it's not my job to convince you of this. It's just my job to tell you the truth and let the Holy Spirit convict you and convince you. Number two, I think life will eventually convince you because sin overpromises and underdelivers and eventually leaves you broken and hurting and ashamed. I think life will eventually convince you. We all have an innate desire to go our own way. Scripture says we all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us have gone our own way. We are all prone to wander. And if you've wandered, it's probably at least in part because you've believed the lie that your choice isn't gonna hurt anything. I can do what I want. I can sleep with whomever I want, whenever I want. I can have as many partners as I want. We're just two consenting adults enjoying some recreational activity. You can choose to believe that if you want to. But the one who created sex is the one who defines the parameters for it. Let me give you this illustration. I really enjoy a good fire, but I can't make a fire anywhere I want to. There are places that fires are meant to be made. Like I can't make a fire right here. If I were to put some logs on the floor in front of the stage here and throw some lighter fluid on it and put a match on it, chances are you guys would be running for the hills because it wouldn't be long before that thing would be out of control. Carpet would catch on fire, chairs would catch on fire. What usually brings people a lot of enjoyment, if done wrong, can create a whole lot of destruction. See, I've got a fireplace at home and Kelly and the boys and I love making a good fire, especially in the wintertime when it's cold outside, especially when it's snowing. There's just something about the scene of snow falling outside. You know, Kelly will say, Sammy, will you make a fire? And that's his thing. He's just adopted that. He loves making a fire. He gets that thing roaring. We all snuggle up under blankets on the couch and we put on a movie while we drink hot cocoa and it's wonderful. But if that fire ever gets outside the box that was meant to contain it, it can ruin our day and destroy everything we own. What am I trying to say? Passions need parameters. They can be enjoyed to the fullest if you'll follow the one who created it. One man, one woman in the context of a covenant marriage. Those are the parameters that God has clearly established in his word for sex. Step three, the devil then accuses God of evil intent. When he told Eve, the reason God doesn't want you to eat it is because he knows something you don't know. He's trying to keep something from you. He's not for you. He's against you. And the lie that we hear is righteousness is boring and sin is fun. Now, let me be honest with you. Sin is fun for a season, like when I wasn't following Jesus, I had a lot of fun when I was getting high and, you know, drinking and smoking. Like it, I had some good times. If you're not having fun, you're not, you're not doing it right. 
but only for a season. Eventually, sin shackles you and leaves you feeling controlled, leaves you feeling broken, hurting, ashamed. But the devil lies to you and tries to convince you that God's way is boring and doing what you want, that's freedom. That's really fun. Can I just be honest with you? Like following Jesus isn't always easy. In fact, a lot of times it's hard. But following Jesus is fun. It's fun. I was just telling Kelly the other day, we were on a spontaneous date at LT's the other day. We had a couple hours to kill and we grabbed dinner together and we were just catching up. And I turned to her, I said, babe, can I just tell you, I'm having so much fun following Jesus with you. It is fun being on mission with you. It's fun helping people know and follow Jesus. It's fun watching our boys grow into young men who love Jesus and love the church. It's fun following Jesus. King David spoke of this in Psalm 16 when he said, you show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy, not just joy, but the fullness of joy. And at your right hand, get this, our pleasures forevermore. Did you know that God is a God of pleasure? Some of you have a view of God of some mean, scary disciplinarian who's just waiting to bop you over the head as soon as you get out of line. No, Jesus said, I have come to bring you life and have it to the full. Following Jesus is the path that leads to abundant joy and pleasures forevermore. And yet some continue to insist that if there is a God, then I don't wanna believe in the God of the Bible because he just seems mean. God's supposed to love everyone and accept everyone right where they're at. And as long as I'm not hurting anyone, I can do what I want to. Listen, our culture has accepted two huge lies. And the first is this, that if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, that means you must fear them or hate them. The second lie is that to love someone, you have to agree with every choice that they make or everything that they believe and do. And both are nonsense. The truth is God does accept you just as you are, but acceptance and approval are two very different things. The most loving thing our God does is call us out of our sin. What kind of a father would I be if I let my boys just run freely outside of the parameters that I have set to keep them safe? If I let them run into a busy street where they can get hit by a car and die? When they run outside of those parameters, I call them back in because I love them, not because I'm mad at them. And God lovingly calls us out of our sin because he loves us and wants us to enjoy the safety of relationship with him. He calls us out of our sin because sin destroys and sin separates us from him. The most loving thing our God does is call us out of our sin. Step four, the devil then advertises sin as beneficial. Not only does he minimize the negative consequences of sin, he says, no, this is good for you. Your eyes will be opened. The lie he tells us is your life will be better with you leading it. You deserve to be happy. No one, no one has the right to tell you what you can or can't do. If it feels good, go for it. Listen, just because it feels right or feels good doesn't mean it is right or is good. Please don't follow your feelings because your feelings, your flesh will tell you a whole bunch of stuff that it wants that feel good. If I followed my feelings, I wouldn't be married today. I wouldn't be your pastor if I followed my feelings. 
Your feelings will lie to you. When you're married, if you've got a, if you're in an argument with your spouse or you're in a rough season and you go to work and you see that attractive person who's paying you some attention, your feelings will tell you, you know what, I deserve better. I'm a, I wanna divorce my wife because I deserve someone who's gonna pay some attention to me. You shouldn't follow your feelings. Parents, sometimes you get angry with your kids and there'll be times where you just wanna send them into the next zip code. You shouldn't do what you feel. Whether you're married or you're single, your feelings will tell you, you know what? Looking at porn's not hurting anyone. I'm just by myself. Your feelings will lie to you. Your feelings lie. We don't follow our feelings. We follow our faith. We follow God's word. As my wife always tells my boys, your feelings are valid, but they're usually not an accurate indicator of what is true. Your feelings usually want the opposite of what God wants for you, which is why Peter writes in 1 Peter 2.11, dear friends, I urge you to abstain from sinful desires, abstain from those feelings that you have that wage war against your soul. We all have a carnal fleshly nature that have feelings and desires that wage war against what God wants for us. It's waging war against your soul but we have become a feelings first society. If I feel it, I do it. If I don't feel it, I'm not doing it. We don't follow our feelings. We make choices first and feelings follow. Right feelings follow right actions. But the devil lies to you and says, your life will be better with you leading it. But listen, if you've chosen to follow Jesus, you've surrendered the control of your life to Jesus. He's leading it, not you. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6, do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You guys, this is not a sanctuary that we're in. If you're a Christian, you are the sanctuary. Your body is the sanctuary and the temple in which the Spirit of God dwells. He says, you are not your own. You were bought at a price a steep price, I might add. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And yet we live in a culture that idolizes autonomy. The belief that I am in control of my destiny, no one gets to tell me what is or isn't right. My truth is my truth, and I get to do what I wanna do in the pursuit of what makes me happy. The myth of autonomy creates nothing but madness and mayhem. The freedom, true freedom, is found in surrendering to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Well, isn't that a sacrifice to give up control? Aren't you gonna miss out on things? Isn't it a sacrifice? No, giving up something now for something better later isn't a sacrifice, it's an investment. Young people, listen to me. I urge you to consider this verse that giving up temporary sexual gratification now for marital intimacy later is not a sacrifice. It's an investment in your future marriage. Singles and those of you dating, you are not your own. Your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Honor God with your bodies. Those of you who are engaged, you may feel like, you know what? We've already committed ourselves to each other. We're gonna be getting married in a couple months. We've already had sex. It's okay if we're having sex still. No, it's never too late to say, you know what? My body is not my own. 
he defines the parameters for sex, and he says that it's only within the covenant marriage that sex is acceptable. It's never too late to say, you know what, we're going to wait until we get married to have sex. And I know some of you think, you know what, this is so old-fashioned. It's fine. You can believe that if you want to. But the lie that your life will be better with you leading it is a lie. Your life will be better with Jesus leading it because blessings follow obedience. The last step in the devil's strategy after he gets us to question God's word and minimizes the consequences of sin, he accuses God of evil intent and then promotes sin as being beneficial. The last step is that the devil uses sin to create shame that destroys future relationships. After Adam and Eve sinned, they realized what they had done. That shame set in, and that shame affected their relationship with each other, their relationships with their future children, and down on, down on through the generations. And the lie that we hear when we feel that shame is, it's too late, run and hide. And that's where some of you are at today. You feel ashamed because you know how many partners you've had. You know how often you look at porn. You know that you've broken your marriage vows and have cheated on your spouse. You know the desires that constantly wage war in your soul about sexuality and you're conflicted because you know that those desires are not in line with what God's word teaches about sexuality. You love Jesus and you wanna follow him, but you feel ashamed at the things that you have felt, that you have thought, that you have done, and you think God's disgusted with me, it's too late, he can never forgive me. You think he's mad at you, and so your instinct has been to run and hide and find safety in the company of others who feel similar shame. And that shame then turns into anger against God because you think he's rejected you, and how could he judge me if he made me this way? I'm here to tell you that's a lie. God is not mad at you. He loves you. When Adam and Eve sinned, God pursued them. He called them and God is pursuing you. And the anger that God has for your sin is not aimed at you. All the anger that God had towards sin was poured out on Jesus when he hung on the cross and took on the sin of the world. The wrath of God was poured out on Jesus in that moment and all he feels towards you is love and a desire to be in relationship with you. He's not mad at you. You don't need to hide. Instead, Psalm 34, 5 says, those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy and no shadow of shame will darken their faces. When we look to him for help, even in our brokenness, even in our sin, he washes shame away. And some of you need to hear that today. For God so loved the world, he gave his son. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God is pursuing you. He is pursuing you even right now in this moment while you're hiding in shame. When you look to him for help, no shadow of shame will darken your face. And maybe some of you are afraid to do this because you tried before. Maybe you built up the courage once in, in your past to share your struggle or confess something to someone in a church one time. 
And rather than being loved and accepted, that church shunned you and shamed you and rejected you and turned you away. And because that church turned you away, you found a safe place in the world that said, come with us, we'll accept you, we won't judge you. And as a leader in the church, on behalf of the capital C church, can I just apologize to those of you who have had that experience for not having always done a very good job of demonstrating the love of Christ to you. I'm telling you, the church has gotten this wrong many times. We're people who've come forward and have built the courage to confess some things or say, man, this is what I'm feeling, this is what I struggle with. And rather than loving them, they rejected them. I long for our church to be a safe place where anyone can come in, the broken, the hurting, people in sin, people in alternative lifestyles can come in and be accepted and loved just as they are. And when I say accepted, immediately some self-righteous people think, well, does that mean we're gonna be soft on sin? Does that mean we can just let people live whatever kind of lifestyle they wanna live? No, acceptance and approval are two different things. The most loving thing our God does is call us out of our sin. And I know that it will get messy. I know it's not always gonna be easy, but I long for our church to look like Jesus who came in the fullness of grace and truth. I want us to respond to people who are in sin the same way Jesus responded to the woman who was caught in adultery. The religious leaders brought her before Jesus, expecting that Jesus would uphold the law, which said she deserved to be stoned to death. And after he bends down and just draws some things in the sand with his finger one by one, all of her accusers just walk away till all that's left is her standing there ashamed in front of Jesus. And he looks at her with all the love in his eyes. And he says, where are your accusers? She said, they've all left. And Jesus looks at her and says, neither do I condemn you. He led with grace. I don't condemn you. But then in the very next sentence, he says, now go and leave your life of sin. I want us to be a church that offers grace to everyone, no matter what kind of lifestyle they're living. But grace isn't just free forgiveness. Grace is also the power that enables us to walk away from a life of sin. Fullness of grace and truth. That's the kind of church I want us to be. So as our small groups are getting started this semester, we just had our Connect event last week. Those groups are gonna be meeting maybe for the first time in the next week or two. Can I encourage you? Create safe spaces for people to be authentic and real. Don't recoil and react in shock when people have the courage to take the mask off and say, can I just be real and let you know what I'm struggling with? And maybe you'd respond by saying, hey, I get it. Thanks for showing me your scrapes and bruises. Let me show you some of mine too. And let's together figure out how we can use God's grace and power to overcome our struggles. And let's hold each other accountable to live lives that are worthy of the sacrifice that he made. <laughs> Belong and become in community with authenticity. Let's be real. Let's have safe spaces. I wanna close with this. There are three possible responses to this message. And the first is defensive rejection. How dare you? Who do you think you are telling me that the life I'm living is wrong? 
I can do what I want to. I was made this, this way. I can be who I want. I can do what I want. And you're right. You can. You have free choice. God made all of us with free will. We can choose his way or our way. And honestly, it's a lot easier for us to go our own way, to do what we want to. Jesus even said, broad is the path and wide the gate that leads to destruction, but narrow the way that leads to life. God never forces his will on anyone. We have the freedom to choose. But in that passage that I read to you in the beginning of the message from Romans, Paul describes the result of rejecting Christ. And these were the verses that I began to weep over when I put them in the message. Three times in five verses, Paul writes, verse 24, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts. Verse 26, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Verse 28, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, since they thought it was foolish to acknowledge God, God gave them over to a depraved, foolish mind so that they do what ought not to be done. He let them do whatever they wanted, things that shouldn't be done. Not everyone who heard Jesus believed and accepted him. Not everyone who heard Paul preach believed and accepted Jesus either. Many rejected what they heard. And he says, God will give you over to your desires. He'll let you do whatever you want. But then in the next chapter, he gives you, he very clearly lays out the consequences of that choice. Verse five of chapter two, because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgments will be revealed. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. He'll give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. But he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves and who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. And if there is anyone in here today that rejoices at the thought of God's wrath being poured out on someone, you are not operating in the love of Christ. If I can be honest with you, I don't like these verses. They terrify me. I wish they weren't in the Bible. These were the verses that I went back and forth and wrestled with myself. Should I put these in? Should I not put them in? But I wouldn't be doing anyone any favors if I omitted the very real consequences of rejecting the grace and mercy of God in Christ Jesus. The wages of sin is death. But God doesn't want anyone to die. That's why he sent Jesus. Peter writes about this, 1 Peter 3, 9. God's not slow in keeping his promises, but he is patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He sent Jesus to die so that you don't have to, but we have to choose to accept his forgiveness and follow his way. So I want you to hear my heart. I don't read these verses because I'm trying to preach damnation and hellfire and brimstone. I show you this because I love you. 
And Jesus died so that you don't have to experience death. The gift of God is eternal life. And you can reject this and say, I will do whatever I want to. And that's your prerogative. But the devil also said, I will. Five times, in fact. Isaiah 14, theologians believe, is the account of how Satan got expelled from heaven. He was once a a worshiping angel. And there are five I will statements in there where the devil says, I will, I will, I will, I will. I will become like the most high. And God says, no, you won't, and threw him out of heaven. My hope is that rather than you saying, I will do whatever I want, is that you would respond instead like Jesus who said, not my will, but thy will. So the second response we can have to this is shameful condemnation. And we've already talked about this a little bit, but maybe you agree with this message. You're like, I agree, but I'm, I'm too far gone. I'm used goods. I've done too much. There's no hope for me. God can't forgive me. That is the voice and the lie of the enemy who wants you to feel shameful and dirty and to run and hide. The truth is you're never too far gone. Let me give you a few verses. John 3, 17, the verse right after the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3, 16. God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, right? The next verse says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Jesus didn't come to condemn you. He came to save you. 1 John 3, 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Paul in Romans 8, 1, now there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things are being made new. There is no need or reason for you to feel any shameful condemnation. Instead, the last response that I hope some of you will take to this message is remorseful repentance. And where the word repentance has gotten a bad rap in our society because as soon as we hear that word, We think of the guy standing on a street corner with placards plastered with hateful speech and shouting into a bullhorn saying, God hates sinners. You better turn or you're gonna burn. Repent. And that's what we think of with repentance. But the word repent in the Bible is a beautiful term. It actually means two things. It means, first of all, to change your mind, to change what you used to think about what you're doing, to change what you think about who God is and what his word says. And then once you change your mind, the second thing it means is to change direction. I'm not gonna follow my way anymore. I'm gonna turn around and choose to follow his way. That's repentance. And that happens when we begin to feel remorse over our sin and specifically the cost that he had to pay to purchase your forgiveness for that sin. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 7.10 that godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. Do you know that you can experience a life with no regrets for the things you've done in the past? If you will just come to him in godly sorrow and repent 
and experience his salvation because when you do that, the moment you place your faith in him and you receive his forgiveness, you are justified in Christ Jesus. And not only does, he doesn't just cover your sin, he removes your sin from you and he remembers it no more. And you stand before him clean and spotless, justified just as if you'd never sinned. Leaves no regret. And so my prayer for you and your relationships with your past, your relationships with others, is that you would turn to Jesus in remorseful repentance, who offers you forgiveness and a fresh start. But as you consider it, let me just encourage you. Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after me, he's got to count the cost. I think the church has made it made too easy for people to say, yeah, I want to be a Christian. I want to go to heaven. Jesus said, hold on, if you want to follow me, you've got to deny yourself, which means you've got to say no to the things you want, no to your feelings, no to your urges, no to your wants, and pick up your cross, which means you've got to be willing to die to yourself. And then he said, and follow me. You're not going your way anymore. You're following me. My word becomes the authority for your life. Count the cost. But in him, I have come, he said, that you might have life and have it to the full. The only way to experience abundant life is by dying to ourselves. So by your heads, God, I pray, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And right now it is penetrating the hearts and thoughts of men. God, I pray right now for your Holy Spirit to wash over your people, that they would experience your grace, your mercy, your love, and wants to wash away their shame. Too many people have been hiding in the shadows thinking that they are unworthy of your love, undeserving of your grace because of the choices that they've made, the things that they've done, the thoughts that they've had. God, I pray right now that you would wash that shame away. God, I pray that you would Right now, give people who are struggling with desires and temptations, living in lifestyles that are not in agreement with your word. God, give them the courage to wrestle with this, to respond to this in a way that says, God, I don't understand. From my earliest memories, I have felt this way. Did you make a mistake in making me? Why would I feel something that your word says is not right, God? But I don't understand. But Lord, your ways are higher than our ways when we don't understand. God, help us to trust that you are good and that your ways are best and that your plans for us are good, that you have a hope and a future for us, that you're not mad at anyone, but you're pursuing us even in our brokenness, even in our sin, because you want relationship with us and you're calling us out of that sin. Have your way in our lives. Have your way. God, help us to be a church that models what it looks like to speak the truth in love, that we would lead with grace first, before we just are eager to point out people's sin. 
Help us figure this out, God. How to walk in the fullness of grace and truth. I don't want to pass up this opportunity for those of you who came in here today far from God, but realizing that you don't want to be far from Him anymore. You want relationship with Him. And even though you wrestle with some things that are in His Word and you don't understand, you may not even agree with it all, but this morning you are counting the cost. You're realizing, okay, if I'm going to follow Jesus, I, I've got to say no to some things that I've been feeling and, and, and be willing to die to those things, but trust that in following Him, I will find eternal life. If you're ready to count the cost and follow Him for the rest of your life, even when it doesn't make sense, even when it's hard, with all heads bowed and eyes closed, if there's anyone here that says, I want relationship with God, I wanna know that my eternity is secure, will you just boldly lift your hand all across this place? I see that hand up here on the left. I see these hands over here. God bless you. I'm proud of you. Is there anybody else over here? See the hand in the back? I'm proud of you. Spirit is moving. Those of you who are followers of Jesus, I want you to be praying right now in this moment for God to soften the hearts of those who are feeling that prompting, that knocking of the Holy Spirit on their hearts. I want you. I want relationship with you. Is there anybody else? One more time. Church, I don't want anybody praying alone. I see that hand in the back. So will you join those who are making this confession of faith? Scripture says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So I want to lead you in this prayer. Will you make that confession? Say, Jesus, thank you for taking my sin. Will you wash my shame away right now? Because I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. I believe you're the Son of God, that you died for my sins, and that you rose again, and that you live forevermore. I place my faith in you. I give you control of my life. Be my Savior and my Lord. I'm following your way. Fill me with your Spirit's power so that I can follow you every day for the rest of my life. Help me to trust that your ways are best, even when I don't understand them. I love you, Lord. Thank you for saving me. I give you my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, can we put our hands together and make some noise and welcome those born into God's family today. I know I went a few minutes late today, but as our Dream Team members get into position to serve you on your way out in just a moment, can I take a quick second to just give some instruction to those of you that said yes to Jesus? First of all, can I be the first one to say congratulations on the most important decision you'll ever make in your life and welcome to the family of God. We're excited to have you as part of the family, as our brother and sister in the Lord, and we wanna let you know that you're not on this journey alone. It's not about that one step that you just took, it's about a lifetime of steps of following Jesus. And so if you made that decision, would you do us a favor and grab the green I have decided card in the seat back pocket in front of you? And on the back side, just check the box that indicates the decision that you're making today. And if you made that decision and you're watching online, you can just click the link 
in the comment section of whatever platform you're watching on. And then on your way out, just drop that card off with one of our Next Step team members at the information booth. They want to give you a Bible and some other resources that will uh, just provide some next steps that you may want to consider taking on this new journey as a follower of Jesus Christ. But we're excited to have you as part of the family, excited to continue the series next week as we begin exploring some of the different relationships that are complicated, but that God's word hopefully will uncomplicate a little for us. Church, I love you so much. Thanks for your grace with me. Have a great week. God bless. We'll see you next week.